What do you get when the audacious and the therapist collide? A crash course in unpolished therapy. Rachel Silvercone and Dr. Boca aren't afraid to spin out of control, tackling all the tough talk. Their weekly sesh meets at the corner of Audacity and Advice, where their wheels and yours get turned upside down. Hey guys, happy Wednesday. We are back. It's Rachel Silver Cohen and Dr. Boca. We are meeting on the corner of Audacity and Advice, where our wheels and yours are about to get spun upside down. It's Unpolished Therapy. Good morning, Dr. Boca. Good morning, Rach. I know I say this all the time. It's great to see your face, but it is truly great to see your face because you have been away for so many weeks or days or whatever, and I have missed you terribly. I haven't been able to do the podcast. I haven't been able to catch up with you. So it is so great to see you, and I'm dying to hear all about your trip. If that's what you want to talk about today or not, I'm going to have to ask questions regardless because I'm so excited to see you and, and hear all about it. Well, thank you. And I'm happy to be back. It's always great to see your bubbly, smiley face on this Wednesday morning. And yeah, for the listeners out there who maybe are, have been out of the loop or they haven't caught up, Dr. Boken and I were on a little bit of like that fall break. We took a couple weeks off because I had uh, embarked on a phenomenal trip. I went to Israel and now here I am back in one piece here to tell the tale. And yeah, I mean, look, we are unpolished, so we have to take an unpolished angle on this, but the trip really was such a well-oiled machine. Mm -hmm. And it was so polished, for a lack of a better word, <laughs> totally. that amongst all of the things that I learned and, and my own personal growth, I do have to just sort of quickly out of the gate, just say my hat definitely is tipped big time or my yarmulke, <laughs> I guess I should say, to the powers that be with this program that we went on. And for the listeners, Dr. Boca had already embarked on this beautiful journey several years ago before COVID, but it is momentum. And I encourage the listeners out there to, to look it up thereafter. We'll link it all at the bottom. But wow, Dr. Boca, talk about a well-oiled machine. Every detail down to the nitty-gritty, the mm -hmm. polished to the unpolished and back to the polished again. I thought we were organized. We are not organized, no. comparatively speaking. No. And I just want to tell our listeners, so we came back in November. I guess. Actually, I came back in December, but the trip ended at the end of November and we went into lockdown in March. So that just gives you the timeline of when I went. And I had told Rachel about this as many moms who have gone on this trip. And we all kind of have the same impression when we hear about it. We're like, oh, I don't want to be with a group of girls for even like three hours, let alone an entire week in a foreign country. And I kept telling Rachel, I know, I know, but you got to go. You got to experience this. It's going to be life-changing in some way, shape, or form. And so I'm so happy, Rach, that you went. I can't wait to hear about it. But I'm sure that Rachel and I had very similar experiences in terms of that organization. Momentum does an amazing, amazing job, but we also have different speakers and we go to different places and we see some different things. And so everybody's trip is very unique. So that's why I'm so interested to hear about it. Yeah. And we're going to dive in. I do just want to also sort of connect the dots a little bit to just sort of remind those who have went or to inform those who are like, I don't even know what you're talking about, that the trip that Dr. Boca went on right before COVID and the one that I just came back to that is a momentum program is for mothers, wives, women per se, Jewish women who have children who are 18 years or under. Mm -hmm. And it is a subsidized trip. It's basically like birthright for adults or women. And it's a wonderful, wonderful way to experience Israel from connecting with your Jewish values, engaging with Israel, learning how to take action as a Jewish female, woman, whether you're a mother, a wife, an ex-wife for that matter, and then to learn how to foster unity without uniformity. That was one of our big, big key yeah. goals of ours. So with that being said, though, and 
obviously I am chomping at the bit to dive into it, but I don't want to deflect or deter some of our listeners who are not Jewish. The value perspective and what Mm -hmm. I got out of it being Jewish aside, I think is so enriching. And I I learned so much. It was basically like 10 days of therapy. (laughs) Um, So I, I don't want anyone to like change the channel if you're not Jewish. I also don't want anyone who is not a female per se to turn the channel or be Mm -hmm. turned off because we can dive into the male perspective as well. And and I think there's such a value add for for the men to hear about this. But most notably though, and and I don't want to contradict myself, kind of thinking it through of how we were going to present this, I also don't want to take away from how proud I am to be Jewish and the value of that in and of itself and our history and who we are and where we come from and what I learned just from a historical and educational standpoint of being Jewish. So I'm kind of stuck because I don't want to undermine that, that that's so important, but I don't want to turn off listeners who potentially may not be Jewish. Does that make sense? That makes total sense. And I think what you've said is something that we can tie back to a previous podcast when Shandell came on. And when she was on here talking about the shared values that are not just for Jewish people, but universal values that we all try to incorporate into our life or a different way of thinking that is that generalizes to everybody. So I, I would like to approach it from that perspective if we can, but I just want to add one thing. The concept when Momentum was formed was if we could get to the moms who are the head of the family, then we could pass these values on to everybody in the household because it starts with moms is what their slogan or tagline or adage is. However, it starts with women. It starts, right. And what they've since developed is they now do men momentum trips. Mm -hmm. And so those men that might be listening, if there's ever an interest in that, because what they were starting to see is women were coming back with these values and um, and these strong identities and were so moved and had such powerful experiences of universal themes that kind of like the men were jealous and they wanted to go. So I just didn't want to outcast the men in this dialogue also. Not at all. Not at all. I'm glad you said that. I happen to know some of my male friends that have gone on the trip Mm -hmm. in the past and even currently. And without a doubt, they too are in agreement that the value that has been added to their lives as now husbands and fathers or even ex-husbands for that matter and Jewish men in the community is exponentially greater than before they stepped foot in Israel. With that being said, though, so the framework to the listeners out there, this is not a trip that you get 26 or 30 or 45 of your nearest and dearest best friends and you all say, let's go to Israel and get someone else to pay for it. That is not what this trip was, (laughs) which is why I was skeptical to begin with, because this was actually the opposite of that. It was 26 in this case, but in some of the other groups, there could be upwards of, you know, 40 or 50 women from your local community. But this was people I didn't know. I, you Mm -hmm. know, the names, some of them were familiar or I had crossed paths with them over the course of many years of raising children. But as you know, now, you know, my kids are teens and they're getting up there. Um, So these were acquaintances at best. And Again, truth serum here. That was one of my hesitations. I'm going to go away with it with a gaggle of women I don't even know. And with all due respect to my core gaggle of women that are my people, I don't really know how excited I was to even be doing a big trip with a bunch of, as I say, and lovingly, endearingly, a group of my Yenta vaginas that I want to travel with, right? (laughs) Like just not really something that I'm ready to sign up for. Number Mm -hmm. one, put my name down and and let's commit to it. I had hemmed and hawed for a very long time because it was the antithesis of what I thought I wanted to do and came up with every excuse as to why I couldn't go. That being said, I think that structure now looking at it as a Monday morning quarterback it's designed with intention that way. That's everything there is designed with intention. Everything. So I concur. Right. It's absolutely the way it was supposed to be. And we can peel the onion back on that, which again, we're two intelligent people. The listeners, we, you know, you guys are intelligent people too. I'm sure you can connect the dots on. You, you take a bunch of people that don't really know each other. You throw them into a room or in this case on an airplane and you send them to the Middle East and you kind of have to see <laughs> what happens when you throw them against the wall and you see what sticks, right? We're like a, we're like a reality TV show. Totally, yeah, right? Exactly. We're, la- we're 
locked on the in the desert instead of being on the island. We're in the desert. Exactly. Exactly. So a lot of dynamic personalities, a, a lot of differences. But again, and I'm kind of jumping around, you know, the punchline here, obviously, is that at the end of the day, we're not different at all. Mm-hmm. And we all have pieces of a puzzle that really do fit together. And each piece is different. But that is what makes us so beautiful. And that's what makes our lights shine so brightly. And when we come together in this unification, we are respecting each other's differences, right? We don't have to all be uniform, but the unity that we gather together from this bonding experience, from both the values of being a Jewish woman, coupled with the education and the unbelievable history lesson that we've now learned about the state of Israel is really remarkable. I mean, if you come out of the trip and you have not forged any kind of relationship, like basically you're a sociopath, (laughs) right? (laughs) And that's coming from me who really did kind of, and I do want to share some stories about my own personal growth. But again, I've said right out of the gate from podcast one with you and I that yes, my bark is bigger than my bite, but my guard is up on a subconscious level. It's not with intention that I kind of don't like people. <laughs> right. No, <laughs> lack of, of a better not. way to say it. Mm-hmm. And this trip really does such a beautiful, beautiful job of encapsulating what it is to be of the people, right? Yeah. To, to a, be unified. It's a beautiful way of saying it. And what is remarkable as a psychologist, having experienced this. And I think we've experienced this through, I've at least me personally have experienced this on a lot of different experiences in my life, whether it was going to college or going on trips in high school or post and you're not knowing a lot of people and you put a group of people into a room together. But it is really amazing when you remove everybody from their everyday routine, the monotony of the community that they live in, the stereotypes, just the silos that we live in, the judgment that we cast, you remove all of that and you kind of level the playing fields, and you're in a different country, the amount that you really find that you do share a lot of commonality with, even people that in a million years you never would have approached or been friends with, or even thought that you could remotely have a conversation with, either you've judged the book by its cover or you've had a negative experience. It is remarkable that when you can break down those walls and really see the humanness in everybody and have those values and those experiences together, how close you can become. Whether you walk away best friends or not, you have a shared, as you said, you've had that unity together that will always be there now. And that's the beautiful thing. A oneness. A oneness, right. That you all, of the people, as you said, right, that will always be there, which is a remarkable thing. And then you bring it back into that environment of the silos or the stereotypes or whatever. And, you know, I'm now three years out and still there. They're not my best friends, but they will always have those memories and those, I don't know, those connections forever. So Yeah. And, you know, these are not my words and I know they're not your words, but they're universal and we've heard them from time to time, whether it's from unbelievably powerful speakers, whether it's from a therapist even, whether it's from celebrities or whatnot. We hear the expression that you may not remember exactly what was said, right, Mm -hmm. in, in the spoken word, but you always remember how you felt, Mm -hmm. right? I think that was probably like Maya Angelou who like originally said it, (laughs) but now incorporated into our modern day world and specifically for me in this case. And to your point about, you know, maybe they're not your best friends, but you have that bond now. For me, one of the things that I have said right out of the gate is I don't know that one of my goals per se was to come out of it with like, 25 BFFs. No way. I'm a 50-year-old woman and I have, you know, a life here and kids and I have enough friends and so on and so forth. For me, selfishly, and I'll admit it because that's what we do here on the corner of Audacity and Advice. We're, you know, we're we're just throwing it out there and, and we're taking the blinders off. My goal was really for selfish reasons. I wanted a journey for myself. And one of the speakers, which if I can just go back to the framework for the people who don't know the structure of the trip, 
There are educational lectures after lectures that are intertwined with very, very specific and well-oiled tours with guides of all of the historical landmarks. I mean, not all, obviously. I mean, I'd still be in Israel if we were <laughs> Forever. doing everything. But, you know, the hotspots, if you will. And what was interesting is that the way that they integrated whatever the educational learning session was, or the workshop, if you will, Mm -hmm. the theme, whether it was courage, whether it was in the home, you know, the wholeness in the home, that it starts in the house, whether it was about activism and unity, as I mentioned, without uniformity, somehow those lectures correlated with the landmarks that we went to in the state of Israel and the dynamics between the two. And that's where the values kind of married in with the historical lessons. And it was really remarkable. But the one thing too about one of my big asks of myself and of this trip was my own personal journey and what I could learn about myself and my involvement. And one of the lecturers made a comment that I can't take credit for, but I love it. And I've been using it in my dialogue with others as I've explained the trip to them, that this trip is not a sightseeing trip. It is a in-sight-seeing trip. Beautifully said, yes. Yeah, and when he said it, it resonated so much with me that, of course, you know, I had chills and, and goosebumps and the hair on the back of my neck stood up. And that's the truth. And that's what it was for me. And while, yes, I did make connections with these women, not just the 26 on my trip, but <laughs> the other women yep. from all across, I don't even want to say the nation, but across the globe, yep. that's a powerful thing, right? So to have your own insight and to have your own takeaways, but then to be able to sprinkle that in with what you've learned and listened. I've learned to listen, Dr. Boca, a lot more than talk. You'd be very proud of me. I kind of was a wow. lot more passive than people would have thought, although I did take a fairly active role. But for me and people who know me, I was a sideline cheerleader a lot. I was a nomad. I mean, mm-hmm. not maybe as nomadic as the those from Abraham. From, well, no, but I'm going to say like <laughs> I wasn't in a Bedouin on the way to Masada, right? I wasn't a nomad like that. But I kind of just sort of float. I was a floater, if we're going to use a modern day term. And that's kind of who I am anyway. And I kind of mm-hmm. jumped in and jumped out. And I feel like I got to know people, not everyone. And, and I don't know from a therapy standpoint what your thoughts are on this, but I had said kind of towards the end of the trip, I don't really know how authentic it would be if you bonded with every single person to the same degree. I mean, it's not humanly possible. Mm -mm. So while there were some women that I definitely connected with more than others, and it was, I don't even want to say automatic because that's not my nature, but with more ease than others, Sure, I felt as though by the end of the trip, it was easy for me to say that verbally, but that I hope that this isn't the end. It's really a, a beginning that even if some of you I've connected with more than others, it doesn't mean that the ones that we haven't really gotten to yet, there isn't opportunity on a go forward. And I think that's another piece of this puzzle that we don't just leave it all on the field in Israel. We bring right. it home and to strengthen the community where we are is bullet point number one, the most important. Would you agree with that? Absolutely. And that it's it's so interesting. I mean, there's so many points, like as you're speaking, I'm like, oh my God, I have to stop Rachel right now and I can't. But to that point, I had a much smaller trip than you. I had 18 on ours. Okay. And which was lovely, especially for someone like me who likes to get into conversations with somebody in some meaningful way. But even in those 18, I form different types of relationships. And what's special about, and again, everything is done with intention on this trip, is the goal once you get back is to continue the journey for a year, right? Where you are doing ongoing um, get-togethers and whether it's learnings or activities or whatever, but bringing all of those girls or women, excuse me, back together continues that process. And I will tell you from personal experience, some of the people that I didn't have those deep conversations with or didn't really get to know as the time went through. And again, we had COVID, but even so, when we did have a get-together or an outing, I was drawn to some of them once we got back 
for a multitude of reasons. I mean, because now we can, or we're at different stages, or our kids resonated, or I resonated with something that they said, or I got to know them in the community, or I saw posts of theirs and was curious about it, whatever the case may be. So those people that you're saying you didn't necessarily have those moments with, you may or may not, but it's like any other experience that we have. You're not going to put a group of people together and you're not going to bond at the same level with every single person. So I did want to put that out. And ironically, today of all days, I had put something on social media, my personal page, and one of the girls from Israel, from the Israel delegation, mm-hmm. reached out to me and like just commented on it. And I reached out to her and I said, hey, we're going to be in Israel this summer. Would love for you to meet up with us. Mm-hmm. So I loved and appreciated and even said to you before you went, make sure you talk to the Israelis, make sure you talk to all the other delegations because there is something very special about that experience. So I'm glad you did. Yes, and yes, and yes. The <laughs> irony, too, or or not, because, of course, one of the things that we learn right out of the gate in our Jewish culture, if you will, is that they believe there are no coincidences. Everything with this intent, with purpose, happens for a reason, and there's a bigger picture out there. And I don't know that I needed to go to Israel to learn that lesson because when I finally got my hands on the itinerary and it said that the Boca Raton women were sharing a bus with the women of Omaha, Nebraska, (laughs) I said, okay, that was not by accident. They did that because... Mm -hmm. Because, I mean, it doesn't take a rocket scientist to figure out why they did that. Because on paper, seemingly, it would appear as though you're taking oil and water and throwing them together. And like, what could they possibly have in common? And I, I loved thereafter that... Yes, Boca was with the Omaha, Nebraska women and Bus 5, shout out to Bus 5, we rocked it, right? Not to mention, we had a group of of Israeli women on our bus too who were the best, 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 best ever. I'm hoping that they're listening. They all know that we do this podcast. (laughs) So shout out to our Israeli women who we love dearly. And one of the other beautiful things about Israel too is that along the way, people in Israel we're running into people yep. in Israel. Yeah. And that it wasn't, oh my God, you're not going to believe this. That you can believe it because that's the power of what goes on and the miracles that happen in the state of Israel. And I felt that without me running into anyone per se that I knew off the beaten path. But to see it from others and observe it, you you really felt and this is going to sound so cliche, but it's true. I'm, I'm drinking the Kool-Aid. You felt home. You do. It was really cool. So I had an experience. Um, you know me, I don't know anybody. <laughs> so I was at the hotel of all places. And I went, just so you, everybody, our listeners understand, I went because one of my closest, dearest friends really wanted to go. And I was like, there's no way in hell I'm going on this trip. I had a significant position in the Jewish community here in Boca. And I was like, there's no way I'm airing my dirty laundry, both as a in that position and as Mm -hmm. a psychologist, like not going. Anyway, Mm -hmm. lo and behold, you can see I was so steadfast in those feelings. And I go, okay, but I'm not dancing and I'm not revealing and telling all. Bullshit. Okay. I had so many... HP moments, which are called higher power moments, which is similar to what Rachel's talking about, um, that there's no such thing as a coincidence, so to speak. So many, by the way. But one of them was I was at the hotel and a group of women start dancing and they're, and you know that they're not your people in that they're not on your bus or they're not even from Boca because you all have different color pashminas. Okay. And you're also looking at it like there's no freaking way I'm wearing a pashmina. So they could, that's going to sit in the hotel room. Meanwhile, we wore it every single day and I'm dancing next to this girl at the hotel. And it turns out it's my first cousin's sister in law. My first cousin lives in Michigan. So if Stacy's listening, which she's probably not, but it was Stacy's sister-in-law. And I think, I believe she lives in Michigan as well. So absolutely, you are correct about that. I want to go a little bit off of the values for one second, because you were saying that you were the nomad, but you weren't the Bedouin going in the camel into the desert. But I have to... I did ride a camel though, by the way. Okay. (laughs) So first of all, the picture of you riding the camel was everything. Okay. Mm -hmm. Because again, to our listeners, I had no idea how Rachel was going to receive this gift that was handed to her and that she was taking all of this in. We were not really in contact while she was gone. So I'm like trying to tell through the pictures if she's alive, if she's having a good time, if she's learning, if she's growing, or if she's going to kill me and everybody else who suggested she go. So that was the first thing. But 
at one point, before I even saw the camel picture, Rachel has like a shmata, which is like a rag on her head. And she has her pashmina wrapped around her. And I'm thinking, oh my God, this woman is coming home with a freaking like herd of goat. Okay. <laughs> like I was so convinced you were going to be. And then when you tell me that you are a nomad, I'm like, oh my God, that totally makes sense. She's going to be a herder and she's going to go and she's going to go to Shandel's farm with her goat and her camel. And oh my God, I've lost my partner in crime here. So I'm glad that you are not wearing it right now, but that you embraced um, that experience. And I just had to tell you it was awesome. Okay. Well, let me debunk some myths here. Okay. (laughs) Facebook doesn't tell the truth. I don't understand. Unpolished is as unpolished is. Okay. And now, I mean, let's get to the nitty gritty of like, how do you function with, you know, 26 strangers who are women? We can definitely go down that road too, if you want. But I did ride the camel and it was hilarious. I laughed my ass off and that was a blast. Okay. I I also just think it's so important to mention because again, the range here of you and I on the podcast, but the nature of who I am in general from the subliminal to the sublime as connected. And, you know, I was like the teacher's pet, like in front of the line with every guide because I wanted (laughs) to make sure I could hear every detail and I'm asking 14 zillion questions and I want to know everything and I'm taking copious notes and I now want (laughs) to replay it back to the other women who maybe or maybe not were not as interested. But then in the replay, I'm like, wait, I have the answer. I do want you to know that I laughed my ass off a lot a lot. And and to me, laughter is the greatest thing ever. If there's a religion on laughter, I could be that rabbi. Uh, (laughs) And I will just say again, being unpolished, most of the things I was laughing at, like belly laughing, where I have to like change my underpants because I'm peeing. Totally. Was completely off base, off color, inappropriate. They would throw me off the trip. I had nothing to do with the trip. Laughing at, and so I just want to stay true to form of who I am. That, like, no, I'm not coming home with goats. I'm not coming home asking my kids to refer to me as Ema. You know, everyone comes home and like that first Friday night, everyone's like wanting to light Shabbat candles and all that. I forgot it was Friday. I was already out to dinner, having sushi and and probably not kosher and whatever. So let us just be clear that I am who I am, but I I came back even better from the perspective of the things I was missing, but I haven't lost who I am. And for the record, I don't know if this is a good thing or a bad thing, but that pashmina that I had to wear for 10 (laughs) straight days, I left in the hotel room with intent. It's not back with me. We left it with a little note and one person's trash is another person's treasure. Someone in Israel is enjoying a 10-day-old pashmina, but everyone says I always smell good. So maybe my perfume is embedded in it and it, it'll help someone out. I love that because I couldn't even tell you where my pashmina was. And by the, just so you know, another side note. So my closest friend and I, when we were there, and by the way, for our listeners, I mean, I was not the teacher's pet. And I cannot live without sleep. So I think I slept my way. I was like standing and listening, but I was half sleeping. I mean, you are emotionally and physically exhausted on this trip, or at least that was our experience of it. So we sat there and we have, there's different lectures each time. Sometimes it's about relationships and sometimes it's about home. All the themes are pretty much the same, but you'll have different people leading the the trip. So we had the person who founded Momentum and her husband doing one of our seminars, and it was about relationships. And the husband, who is brilliant and was just fabulous, I mean, they're both amazing. I mean, anybody who has the privilege of speaking to either of Plotniks are blessed. But he did this entire talk about bingo, and he used the acronym BINGO, B-I-N-G-O, to help explain what to do in relationships. And we were writing copious notes and we were like, oh my God, that's brilliant. Oh my God, laughing hysterically. Literally, we got back and I would say two weeks later, we said, wait, okay, let's go through bingo and what does it stand for? And all we could remember to this day is that the N is do nothing. So Mm. like if you get into a fight with your significant other, do nothing. So we can't figure out the rest of it. We have no freaking idea. And so I'm just telling you, Rachel, if there's anything that you 
want to remember forever, write it down. And Shandel, if you're listening to this and for some reason you can ask Lori Platnick what the bingo stands for, we want to know. The other thing I wanted to tell you, I have a few notes that I would like to get through, is I went there for my personal journey was to find joy. I felt that I was doing too much in my life for other people, not enough for myself. And my goal there was to find joy. So I laughed. I had the best time. I danced, even though I said I wasn't going to. And what they have you do, and I don't want to spoil this for anyone who might go, but at the end, they have you write a letter to yourself and they have you send it to yourself so that three months after the trip, you will receive it. So all of my friends received theirs and mine didn't go. So I'm thinking this is like, okay, this is a sign of some sort. Meanwhile, it came like six months later. It had gone through God only knows where in the world. So it really wanted to find me. Mm -hmm. And I am now three years out and have not opened the letter yet. And it is sitting on me and weighing on me. And I open the drawer and it's there all the time. And I have to do it. I haven't done it. There's a lot of reasons why I haven't done it yet. But I'm curious to see because I'm sure there's a lot of things in there that will bring us back to not necessarily the content, but the emotional and affective experience that we have, which is so much more meaningful. So again, I want to just put that out there that that will be coming and it will probably be one of those things. Do I read it? Do I not read it? Do I need to read it? Because I probably know what it says, but I'm not sure I know what it says. And so I, when and if I do read it, I will let you know. So I just had to put all of that out because it's still with me. All these three years later, it's still with me. But if there's anything you want to know, write it down now because you won't remember all of it. Well, a couple of things I just want to mention, and we're going to jump around a little bit because now we're kind of getting into it. But relative to the letter. So yes, on the end of our trip too, they asked us to write a letter to yourself and then you address it, you turn it in, and then it's miraculously supposed to show up here three months later. Our group already kind of made like a quasi-commitment that we're going to open them together. We had like a letter opening situation. (laughs) Now, whether that happens or not, I don't know. I hope it will. If, If my ladies are listening, I'm committed to doing that. But I will tell you when I sat down and wrote the letter, again, this was a personal journey for me. This wasn't about going with my friends and taking pictures and buying stuff and all that. You know, that being said, of course, I bought a few things and I took a lot of pictures, but this was about me. And when I sat and I wrote the letter at the end of the eight days, I, of course, was very emotional and I was crying and I I really, you know, I wanted to get it right. That's just my nature, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. And so I wrote the letter. And then when I started proofreading it, you're supposed to write a letter to yourself. Mm-hmm. So then I had to go back and I had to change all of the, the, pronouns. the tense, oh, the and, tense. And the okay. pronouns. And I started crossing everything out. And instead oh. of, because at first it was you, you, mm-hmm. you. But then I was like, well, wait, if I'm writing it to, to me, from me, it needs to be I, mm. I. And so then I got all like worked oh, up in no. my own head. But then I was trying even in the moment to be in the moment and mm-hmm. remember all of these amazing lessons that I have learned over the last eight days. Like, re-fucking-lax, Rachel. Don't be so hard on yourself, <laughs> exactly. Rachel. And chill out. You'll know how to read the letter regardless <laughs> of what the pronoun is. So I kind of got a kick out of that through my tears. Yeah. Um, well, and the other insight... Well, I didn't mean to interrupt, but the insight of you observing that part of you is that part that you and I have talked about on this podcast so many times, which just highlights just that piece of you that comes out to protect you from that vulnerability. And so that would be something that when you are here, you're going to continue this journey. And that would be this place where you can just kind of go back to every time you feel vulnerable and allow yourself that Mm -hmm. space to not have to get it right. It's okay. Like you're not going to fail the letter to yourself. I promise. Well, thank you, Dr. Boca. And you guys, to the listeners out there, you got to love Dr. Boca because she always, you know, boosts me up and makes all of us, I think I can speak for the listeners too, feel great. And it's probably a good time to mention that this isn't real therapy. This is strictly just Dr. Boca and I kicking the can down the road. And today's road, I guess, is is Masada. Um, (laughs) (laughs) Down. I don't want to go up. I just want to do this. Go down. Um, Kick it down. But, you know, we want to protect her license and we are here in, in an unpolished way to 
have a little bit of untherapy. What I do want to mention when you were talking about Lori Palakin, who is the founder of Momentum and her husband and his beautiful acronym, BINGO, when you told me to write things down and take notes, you don't have to tell me twice. I am the teacher's pet and I took phenomenal notes, of course, but it would be remiss of me if I didn't give a shout out to the brilliant Ayana Ram, who she was the head of our trip and she was our mentor and our speaker and our educator. And we are not talking someone who, you know, is just making it up as she goes along. She is a Harvard graduate, MBA, executive and leadership coach. And her pedigree is, we'd be here all day if I were to go on and on. But but she resonated with me so much. And while her acronym in the discussions of peaceful relationships and what happens in the home and so on and so forth, while it, it was not bingo, I will tell you that her acronym was THINK, T-H-I-N-K. Are you going to share? I am happy to share. But again, you know, again, duly noted, these are not my brilliant ideas. These are not my brilliant acronyms. This, you know, all goes back to Momentum and and Ayana, who so beautifully relayed this mnemonic device, if you will, or acronym. And the T, when you are trying to have healthy relationships and communicate effectively. The T, I believe, is, you know, before you start, and again, I'm now improvising in my unpolished way, but before you start screaming at your partner (laughs) when he or she is, you know, annoying the shit out of you and they haven't done something that you've asked of them, is to wonder, is what you're saying or what you're hearing, I guess, the truth? That's Mm -hmm. T. Okay. Oh, T. That makes sense. Okay. First sort of think about that. H would be helpful. Is what I'm about to say going to be helpful or hurtful? So I kind of chuckle to myself. Like if I started beating the shit verbally out of my partner, is that really helping the situation? Or helping me. Harming. Right, right, okay. <laughs> Depends the I, what perspective here. Exactly. The I in this. And again, I, I really do think maybe it is comparable to what the, this bingo acronym mm-hmm. is, but the I would be inspiring. Is it this going to be insightful? Am I going to inspire the other person or are they going to want to just scream back at me? The N is now, and this is a big one for people like you and I who sometimes are more reactive, Mm -hmm. right? And we just sort of just have to get that last two cents in. Do I really have to say it now or should I take pause and give me some time to cool off? Think about it. How do I want to approach this? And then the K, which again, remember, these are universal. It's not Mm -hmm. about being Jewish or not. But the K is... The words that are coming out of my mouth now, are, are they kind? No. Or am I, you know, the big capital, you know what, which clearly that is not a momentum. I'm improvising there with the, with the C word there. But oh, like, gosh. Kinds are like, you know, so there's so many tools like that. And just imagine eight days of lecture after lecture of emotional bank accounts and love and communication and wholeness and courage. And I mean, I could go on and on and on and on. It is amazing. And Rachel, as you're going through this and I'm hearing your your unpolished version, my unpolished version, I'm like, huh, no wonder why they didn't ask us to leave this trip, <laughs> right? Could you imagine Lori calling me and being like, Lori, you're a psychologist. You can get in front of a group of people and talk and entertain them. You're kind of smart. Could you come and lecture? And I'm going to be like, you realize I drop the F-bomb every single time I talk. And they do it so well. And what is amazing is even though you and I did not have the same speakers, and even though you and I did not have the same group of people, the same core concepts and the same fundamental values were all encapsulated in each and every one of these leaders and lecturers and people. And it is so moving and they speak in a way that is so clear and you can just hold onto it and utilize it that minute, in that minute, the next time you're with your roommate or that group of 18 women, or when you talk to your significant other or your children at home or whomever, you're like, oh my gosh, if I could remember what bingo meant, I could use those skills. Mm -hmm. But don't Mm -hmm. worry, it will come back in another way and you will figure it out. You just won't maybe know those exact same letters, but you'll know the, the premise and the meaning behind it. So kudos to all of them. Now, I want to get personal with you and you can shut me down at any time if if you want. But tell me, I guess, what was your favorite part of Israel per se? And what was your Mm -hmm. favorite part of the actual trip? 
And so one would be like a more sightseeing experience versus, you know, what part of the right. trip did you right. enjoy the most? Okay. Again, the sightseeing trip was an insight absolutely trip. But that being said, and to the listeners out there, whether we've discussed this or not, we pr- probably not would be my guess. But in 50 years, this was my first trip to Israel. So wow, that, that in and of itself is just a wow factor, right? Mm-hmm. And it really is a bucket list destination. And I, I'm just so blessed and grateful that I'm able to say that I've I've been there and I've experienced it as an adult too. You know, a lot of kids go for summer programs or again, the, the birthright when they're, mm-hmm. you know, older teenagers and so on and so forth. And not undermining any of that because I, I know they've all had wonderful experiences, some of which friends of mine have said that that's when they went, when they were teenagers. And to this day, 40 years later, it still resonates so deeply with them. Me, in terms of how I process things, I have, you know, I always say like, I am like the female version of the curious case of Benjamin Button, which I want to do everything backwards because the older I get, I feel like the more I get it, right? I would not have had the same takeaways as a young teenager as I do now as a young adult. Period. End of story. I don't care how anyone tries to sell me. I'm not buying that at all. I know me and I know what my bandwidth is Mm -hmm. for entrenching myself with knowledge and history and culture and the Middle East per se, you know, Mm -hmm. et cetera, et cetera. That being said, without a doubt, hands down, being at the Western Wall Mm -hmm. on Friday, which is Mm -hmm. the day of Shabbat, was the most unbelievable experience I have yet to have as a child, a adolescent, as a young adult. I mean, hands down. For someone who I kind of feel like I'm somewhat of a wordsmith, I don't have the words. It was a palpable, visceral feeling. I was in my own mode. I was in my own zone. There was 8,000 people around, but you never would have known it. I had a Ziploc bag because I had taken a lot of notes that many of my friends had given me because unbeknownst to me, you know, people say like, oh, you're not never going to find room and all that. I, you know, I just, I, I just said to anyone, I'm going to Israel. And if you want me to put a note in the wall, like, and my friends, they lived up to that. They dropped mm-hmm. them off or they said, okay, come pick it up. And I had an entire Ziploc. Now, oh, I love that. <laughs> the unpolished part of me is when I actually got to the wall, I was like, <laughs> damn it. You can't find space. (laughs) Where am I going to put them? (laughs) But I made a conscious decision in an emotional moment that I was going to do for them first. And then I would get to me and Mm -hmm. I took my time and I, every, and for the listeners and again, my friends out there, I mean, the funny thing is I think most of my friends who I took their notes across the world, I don't even think they listened to our (laughs) podcast, (laughs) but I was very methodical and with beautiful intent, I found a spot and I didn't want to do them anything other than the most gracious justice I could. When it came to me, when that was done, mm-hmm. I felt as though my note, I was the note. Yeah. And with my hands on the wall, I did what I needed to do. And I took my time and I felt it and it resonated. And mm-hmm. it was real. Mm-hmm. And I was not, you know me. I mean, I could cry at a Kleenex commercial and I could, you know, cry when the wind blows. This was a completely different type of emotion that emoted from the depths of my soul, Dr. Mm-hmm. Boca. Honestly, I mean, I, I don't that. even know how to say it. And I've said, yeah. I've reiterated this to family members and whatnot so many times now since I'm back that even though I'm saying it and it, sounds as though I'm not having emotion. I think it's just because it's so ingrained in me now that I I just, the crying, I mean, that's what I know. I know why they call it the wailing wall. (laughs) I mean, the sobbing was sobbing the likes of which, and it felt right. And Mm -hmm. it felt raw. And it felt as though my personal mission I had accomplished. And then there was a little bit of a issue for me because when I backed away from the wall and one of the things I had learned amongst a lot of the history lessons is that you back away, you don't turn around, that like you don't want to turn your back to God, right? Right. Which I wouldn't have known that. Right. Um, So as I was backing away, all of these women, and I don't even mean the 26 women on my trip, I mean just like women, right? Mm -hmm. Of like just people, they 
take care of you. And someone, some woman who, I mean, I've to this minute, I have no idea who it was, but she was comforting me. Mm. And it was a beautiful, beautiful moment. And then it was kind of like, you want to talk about like leaving it all on the field. That was my apex. That was my high. That was my peak. Mm. Anything after that was bonus and gravy. But I had said verbally to the women on my trip and to some of the educators, if you told me pack your bags and head to the airport now, I would have been like, I'm good. Yes, I've gotten what I needed. I've gotten it. I don't know how else to describe it other than to just say it was magical. You did describe it exactly as that. You captured it beautifully. Um, It's a powerful, powerful, meaningful it's a life-changing experience. And I'm not a crier, right? We all know that. I'm not a crier, but you sit there and you can feel it at some level. And it had not been my first time at the wall. I did study twice in Israel, or I was on two trips to Israel previously. And it doesn't matter how many times you go into our listeners, again, you don't have to be Jewish to have an experience where you have a connection And I think that's the big word is there's a connection when you are at that wall. And there are so many millions of people who have been there before you. And God willing, there will be millions of people who will come after you. And for each and every one of them to have that experience and that connection, it's almost overwhelming to stop Mm -hmm. yourself and think about it. So if you ever get an opportunity, listeners, to get there, it is truly, truly a life-changing experience. And I'm so glad that that is true for you as well, Rach. So you had said, and I don't know if you want to go this personal, but you had said that this was an insight trip and you were there on your own personal journey. Would you be willing to tell me and the hundreds of thousands of listeners that one day might listen to this, but our listeners that are listening now, some of the takeaways that you took? Yeah. Before I do that, though, I kind of just want to paint like like an image, kind of. Before I get into like the emotional growth, mm-hmm. the the growth from just the historical standpoint, to be able to now look at a map. You know me, I like walk around with an 11 by 14 <laughs> calendar and I have to write everything down. I had to get a map of Israel to really understand the dynamic of mm-hmm. the state and how it relates to all these years when you hear about the Gaza Strip or yeah. Lebanon or Jordan or the Dead Sea. I, to me, these are just words. And this is like a boring history class that I like asked the teacher if I could get a pass and go to the bathroom, right? <laughs> but now here I am wanting to learn, wanting to understand when we're having Uh, discussions and lectures with soldiers who are teenagers, our children's age almost, who they're not asking to go, they're required to go. I have to understand what we're talking about here. So from that perspective, to be able to see a map and to understand Tel Aviv as it relates to Sfat, which is, Mm -hmm. you know, a a mystical town and and to learn the history behind that. And then, of course, Jerusalem and the old city and and what that even looks like versus what it means and and what the historical roots are. And then even Masada. I'm embarrassed to tell you what I thought the story of Masada was (laughs) versus what it really is. I'll let you use your imagination. (laughs) Listeners out there, if you want to know, I am happy to tell you what I thought it was, but you've got to text us. You've got to email us. You've got to direct message us. You've got to ask or you've got to even guess the preposterity of what (laughs) I thought the story of Masada was. I even said to my parents when I got, I'm like, were we even Jewish? (laughs) I ain't no (laughs) from Shinola. I'm here to tell you, I'm being honest. I had no idea. And I'm just blown away with how much knowledge I have now. But I'm also humbled to Mm -hmm. say openly, there's still so much more to learn. This was just a crack in a huge, huge history book of Mm -hmm. what I'm so interested in and continuing to learn more and grow. So from the historical standpoint, between Tel Aviv and Jerusalem and Sfat and Tiberias and the Dead Sea and and everything in between and all the little nicks and crannies and the lessons and the teachings and so on and so forth, it was really just a a wonderful, wonderful, wonderful absorption of culture and history and, and amazingness but I know that you're trying to get me to crack here. So, I'm not trying to get you to crack, <laughs> Rach. I'm just, I, this is my opportunity to ask and for our listeners to hear, but I, you know, this is what I'm interested in. Okay. I, look, 
I love that part of it. And I think that's important for everybody to understand because it does put into perspective the stuff that we do here, here in America. So I think everybody should have that history lesson. But that's not what I, me, Dr. Boca, is so moved by. Okay. So with that being said, I'm going to share a story and I'm not going to embellish at all. I'm going to tell you what I think is exactly how I said it to the group on our last night. And I'm hoping that we have 25 new listeners now um, after this. I mean, I basically like, you know, insisted (laughs) (laughs) that they all subscribe to the podcast and that they have to listen, but they all have a piece of my heart now. And I hope that they will become Unpolished Therapy, you know, tried and true subscribers and listeners. But I'm going to share with you and our audience what I shared with them. One of the lessons that we learned in our lecture was about courage, right? Mm -hmm. And you would think to the naked eye, the opposite of courage, most people would answer and think, oh, the opposite of courage is fear. Well, yes, but no, right? Mm -hmm. And in this context, the opposite of courage is comfort, Mm -hmm. right? and staying in your comfort zone and not stepping outside of the box. And again, a lot of this is like, duh, obviously. I mean, we've had 79 episodes. We've talked about this in one way, shape, or form right. through our Unpolished Therapy podcast. But when you hear it in, in this context, it it resonates a little bit more. It hits a little bit harder, a little bit deeper, and you have nowhere to hide. Right. You're right? vulnerable. I mean, you are you are worn down emotionally, physically, and you are vulnerable. <laughs> they There's have nothing. emotionally waterboarded us, right? <laughs> totally. totally. In the best of ways, by the right. way. Totally. Yes. So this is how I kind of want to end the podcast with, with, with really a new beginning, if you will, and humor me here. And again, I don't know if I'm going to say it as eloquently um, as I could, but I'm going to say it as, you know, with as much emotion and authenticity as I can. And this is the story I shared. So a lot of the women on the trip probably didn't know this about me because they didn't know me. Mm-hmm. And even our listeners may not know this because they don't see me. They just hear me. But our local community who sees me would know that a zillion years ago, I mean, a decade and change ago, I used to CrossFit, mm-hmm. right? And part of the shtick with CrossFit was that everyone got a nickname and it was representative of either your personality or how you exercised or what you looked like or something along that nature. And being here in Florida, the CrossFit gym, if you will, was like inside, outside, but really more outside because it was like one of those like garages. Okay. And you know me, I'm blind and I would always (laughs) wear my sunglasses. And my nickname right out of the gate, day two or three, they nicknamed me Shades. Okay. Okay. And um, I wore my sunglasses because they're prescription glasses and I I cannot see without. You are blind. Okay. For sure. Now, fast forward all these years later, I haven't CrossFit in a zillion years, but the nickname with many people has stuck as has the fact that I wear my sunglasses all the time to the point where, you know, the way that you make fun of me, I have a, a 12 million bags or schmatzes on my head or whatever. I always have like 16 pairs of glasses and that's just how it is. And over the course of time, some people have said to me, why do you wear, why do you wear your sunglasses all the time? And I would say, what, what do you mean? I mean, it's not a costume. I, I wear them because I'm blind. And then other people would say to me, and some people who are, are dear, dear friends of mine, and I respect their opinions more than I can tell you and, and take that for face value, would say to me, you're missing out on, on the color of life and you're always wearing your sunglasses and, and, and take them off. And, and I would get offended and say, but you don't understand. Like, I can't see without my sunglasses. Mm. Other people would not know that they were prescription sunglasses and they would think that I was, quote unquote, hiding, hiding. behind the glasses. Mm-hmm. And I think you and I had even maybe mm-hmm. talked about that a little bit in, in one way or another on a previous podcast to just even use as an analogy or a metaphor to not really connect, mm-hmm. right? And come hell nor high water, I would say, no, that's not, at least not what I thought on a conscious, conscious level, Right. It was not your okay? conscious intention to do that. So as luck would have it, or God, and coincidence or not, and we now know there are no coincidences, on day two of this trip, I lost my sunglasses. (gasps) 
Oh, gosh. My okay. prescription sunglasses. Forget the fact that they're, you know, designer and all that. That, who cares? No, about the it? anxiety. But I now can't see without mm-hmm. the sunglasses. And now we're outside all day long for literally, you know, all 14 day. hours a day, all day. And again, let's just couple it with the fact that for all intensive purposes, I'm with strangers. So mm-hmm. if we're going to go down the road of subscribing to, do I wear sunglasses to maybe protect myself and not? have to be vulnerable. Mm -hmm. Okay, let's go with that card. Holy shit, I'm now in the middle of nowhere. I don't have that layer of protection. I don't have my cohort of people I know around me. And even my cohort of that protection of my sunglasses to block out an emotional inner who I am, the Mm -hmm. inner sanction of my soul on a trip where you're supposed to emote left, right, and sideways but how lucky for me that I can hide behind my sunglasses. And and I will say the first two days there was emoting. And when I would listen to the lectures, I was emotional. But of course, I had my sunglasses on and none the wiser and whatever. So I was telling the women at the end of the trip, which they didn't know how attached I was to my sunglasses, that now day two of the trip, the sunglasses are gone. And I had hoped that they would be found. And I did ask. Don't get me mm-hmm. wrong. I mean, every minute I'm like, did you find my sunglasses? Did you I find have no my doubt. sunglasses? I'm like asking the bus driver and, and the guide who like hung out on our bus with us. Are you sure he did? And every, no, we don't have the sunglasses. We don't. And then uh, this piece, I don't even think that I shared with the women. There was one day that there was a group text that went by. We think we found your sunglasses. Mm. And I had already had this moment in my head, like maybe this was the breakthrough for me that I had to now go through this journey, looking out into the direct sunlight, looking into the eyes of these strangers that are now not strangers, that they really Mm -hmm. have become a piece of me. And in one way, shape or form, whether they think so or not, from my personal journey, I connected with them more so because I didn't have that line of defense in between us where hands down, had I not lost the sunglasses, they would have been on the entire time. And maybe you think that that's vapid or whatever, but for me, it was kind of a big deal. The metaphor of life that I've now kind of lived through this trip through the eyes of these women and they are now my colors. And Mm. I've seen all of the beautiful angles and and how the light shines in from a different perspective because we're Love the that. same but different and that prism of light shines and without those glasses or I, I should say with those sunglasses on I may not have seen the beauty that I did see without them. Rach that was so beautiful and so eloquent. And I just want to add just a little spin on that. You're so focused on seeing the color and seeing them, but it also gave them the opportunity to see you Mm. and to see within you and to see all the beauty that you hold on to that you keep from people sometimes Mm. by having that wall up, whether it's the glasses or the emotional wall or the nomadic part of you or the withdrawn part or the, you know, the part that keeps to herself and doesn't share, you allowed other people in to see that beauty and the acceptance. And I think this is really important for you to really process the acceptance and the beauty that they see and the depths of you and how much they admire and respect and look at you with all the good and what we would call the unpolished parts of you, the raw and the authentic and the the vulnerable parts of for you. And they didn't go anywhere. They were right there by your side as your color. You were mm-hmm. their color. And so I just wanted you to kind of take that in because you're so focused out on everybody else without allowing them into your world. And so it goes both ways. And that is the true part of emotional intimacy is when we can all allow ourselves to get into those emotions and let people see us as we are. And then their walls come down and they can return to you that acceptance, that nurturing, that connection. And that's the part of us that makes us alive and us thrive and connect to other people. And that's what makes us kind of grow and unify and have that unity together. So it's an important piece, at least from my perspective, listening to the story. It is a beautiful, beautiful story. Thank you, Hashem, for <laughs> misplacing her freaking glasses. Um, but isn't that crazy though, Dr. Bo? Like when you talk about higher power, like mm-hmm. forget thank you for all of that. Okay. But let's now just the fa- of all the things, it wasn't like yep. I lost the a sweatshirt, which I which I did lose a sweatshirt. <laughs> or it's not like I misplaced like 
of all the things. Like, that's yeah. my security blanket. Yeah. And, and it's just amazing. Yep. And I think it's really important to our listeners to hear that a lot of times when our friends give us information or people point something out to us and we are so quick to say no, like, check in with yourself because the times that we say no immediately or so emphatically, although we really feel like that's the reason and we're justified in it, oftentimes there's something happening on some unconscious level because we wouldn't react that intensely or that Mm -hmm. adamantly if there wasn't some truth in there. So I believe, Rachel, having known you for as long as I've known you, I believe there is a legitimate reason you had those glasses on, but there's oftentimes those underlying things that we're just not aware of. Yeah, I agree with it wholeheartedly. I know, again, I mean, blanket statement, Friday I have an appointment, I'm getting a new pair of sunglasses. Of course you are. (laughs) Okay, (laughs) but that being said, the way that it ties together so beautifully is that one of the other huge themes of the week was the paradigm shift. Mm -hmm. and taking a negative and turning it into a positive or asking the questions why and how can we redirect or how can we reframe and how can we see the light literally Mm -hmm. and, and figuratively. And in my case, this paradigm shift of not having the sunglasses that in and of itself, I mean, put a fork in me, I'm done. The wall yeah. and this, like Everything. to be able to come to that conclusion, that was my paradigm shift. And I'm grateful to the experience. And I'm also grateful for the women that that I was with, that they heard my story and they listened and it resonated with them. And, you know, maybe they got a little bit more insight into who I am. And again, Rome wasn't built in a day. You know, I mean, nope. I know I'm in the wrong country here, but okay. you can't really know every ounce of every strain of someone from soup to nuts in 10 days. You just can't. But if you start to get a little piece or you're interested or you're curious, right? You're curious to tap in to someone else and get to know them and to listen more than you speak a little bit. It's very profound and there's a lot of learning to be had. And I look forward to that with all the women. And notice too that I keep calling them women because I had a thing mm-hmm. on the trip that like, I can't go down the rabbit hole the of that sister. like sister thing. It just drives <laughs> me insane. I'm not doing it that uh-huh. coolly and I'm not drinking, but they're wonderful, wonderful women. And I blessed to know all of them and I look forward to knowing them more and to incorporating them into our community and in our unpolished world. And there's a few of them too. If they're listening, I hope you are. We had some conversations that maybe they'll come on the podcast and share some of the things that make them tick and what makes them unique and special and what they add to our world here as we know it in their craft, whether it's in in their communities or whether it's professionally speaking or even just the meld of both. I would love to have them on to share their stories with us. Well, I would love to have them on as well. And I must say to all the ladies or women that were with you, thank you for taking such good care of Rachel. And clearly it was an experience having followed you guys all on social media, but also having been there and known what it's like. It's transformative. And I, for one, am grateful to Lori Palatnik and all of the leaders, all of the eight women that sat out in, it wasn't Colorado, but it was out there. And I was somewhere out West who had this brain trust that came together and made this happen. And to all the people who donate and all the people who give to this unbelievable organization, Momentum, thank you, thank you, thank you, because you guys are changing the world. Literally one mom, now one Mm -hmm. dad, one woman, one man, however we want to phrase it at a time. And as you said, and I say this to my patients all the time, and I'm saying it to our listeners, the concepts are not unique, a lot of them. And we have said them, other people have said them, your teachers have said them, speakers have said them, leaders have said them, whomever says it. Sometimes, though, when you get to that place where you've been, as Rachel said, emotionally waterboarded, (laughs) right? Mm -hmm. You just hear it a different way. And when you're in the land and you're experiencing the history and you're putting all the pieces together and you hear it coming from these brilliant-minded individuals who live it, breathe it, speak it, and are true to it, it resonates. And it is amazing. So anybody who gets an opportunity to do Momentum, or any program that gets you to Israel at some point, Jewish, not Jewish, male, female, kids, adults, whatever it is, 
Everybody has a unique experience at the time that they're intended to have that unique experience. Never shy away from it. Rachel, I'm so proud of you. I know you were reluctant. I think it was amazing. I'm so glad you didn't come back with a goat, but that you (laughs) came back (laughs) with the memories and the experiences and the emotions and the insights that you've had. And I know there's more stories. I can't wait to hear them. And I hope this is just like you said, the beginning of the journey. Yeah, thank you. I think it is. I know it is. I feel that it is. And I want to put out to the listeners out there, if anyone has specific questions or if you want to learn more, I could talk about this all day. I'm I'm really passionate about it. I loved what I learned. I loved what I saw. I loved being outside of my comfort zone. That is how we grow. It's so courageous Mm -hmm. to be a little scared. And it's courageous to step outside of the zone that we're so conformed in day in and day out. And I am happy to sit down and talk to any of you about this experience because I do believe it's total value add and truly life-changing in the best possible way. Absolutely. The same for me as well. I'm happy to talk to anybody, but I just want to add and finish it off on this. Mm -hmm. For our listeners, this podcast, okay, and my desire to find joy in my life was birthed out of this trip. When I came back from this trip and we went into lockdown, this is when I actually, I was in Tel Aviv when I decided I was going to do a project, whatever it was. I thought at the time it would be to write a book or I was going to become a public speaker. (laughs) How ironic, right? And somehow in different shifts and waves, it led to this podcast. So you guys would not be listening to us if it was not for this journey. So it is truly a part of me. It's a part of Rachel. And we are here to answer any questions. And that's really, I just had to put that out there because we would not exist, Rach. I would not have had the balls to reach out to you had it not been for Momentum. Amazing. Well, on that note, I can't top that. So to the listeners out there, please continue to listen and share with your friends. You can find us on Facebook and Instagram at Unpolished Therapy. You can find us on Twitter, even though you know we don't Not have so much. much of a presence there at Untherapy. You can email us, of course, at unpolishedtherapy at gmail.com. We want to hear from you. We want your opinions, your comments, your advice too, back to us subscribe, rate, and review. Please let us know how you feel. We are so happy to be back on the corner of Audacity and Advice, where our wheels and yours get spun upside down. Today, we were spinning all around from here in Boca Raton all the way to Israel and now home again. Dr. Boca, thank you so much for spending your morning with me. I look forward to what's to come next week and the weeks that follow. Have a great week, everyone. Great sesh, girls. Hey, everyone. Like what you heard? Then don't miss out on what comes next. Subscribe now and please give the girls a five-star rating. Learn more at www.unpolishedtherapy.com. Find and like them on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter. We'll see you next week when Rachel Silvercone and Dr. Boca ditch the couch, grab the mic, and break down all the wreckage.